Welcome to the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm your host, Will Cheshire. And in this podcast, I speak with impact-driven founders and share their real-time stories about how their solution has a positive impact on society. This is a show for founders, investors, and all individuals looking for some positivity and optimism as you hear from people working hard to help better our society and our planet. You can expect to learn about some awesome new products and services in this show that will bring you more hope in our quest to solve some of society's biggest issues. Let's dive in to this week's episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. We're talking about sustainable investing in this episode of the Talking Solutions Podcast. I'm sitting down with the co-founder of Carbon Collective, Zach Stein, for a conversation about why investing in sustainable companies is the future and an avenue to help fight climate change. Carbon Collective offers retirement accounts through IRAs, brokerage accounts, trusts, and more for individual investors and businesses. And I found this solution to be really interesting as I think it's an important part for investors and consumers to let their voices be heard and putting your money to work is a great way to get companies to listen to your voice. Carbon Collective is looking to create change while still setting you up for a profitable financial future through sustainable investing. So. Let's learn how in this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast with Zach Stein of Carbon Collective. Zach, how are you today? Well, I'm good. I'm glad to be here. I had COVID a couple weeks ago. I'm out of it. So life's good, man. There we go. Any residual effects? You got that energy back and you're ready to go. Sound energized. Yeah. Energy is back. You know, I have a 10 month old. He's all good. So... Yeah, just on the other side of it, and that feels really good. Fantastic. Well, let's keep that positivity rolling and get into a conversation about what you are building with you and uh, the team over at Carbon Collective as well, and uh, sustainable investing, and we'll get way into the nitty-gritty of the solution on that front as well. But before we kind of dive into that solution and kind of talk about what you're building and, and why it's so great for society and for sustainability and climate and purposes of that nature, I'd love to just hear a little bit more about your background, uh, about the, the story of Carbon collective, if you will, and why you kind of got it started. Yeah, my co-founder and I, we've known each other since we were four years old. This is the second company that we have launched together. And we set out at the beginning of 2020 not to build a sustainable investing platform. We set out with a broader question. How could we help individuals like you and me collectivize our climate actions to generate greater, greater impact and also help us feel like we're attached to something greater than ourselves? And we explored a lot of different avenues of that. We did a survey of 700 people that led to 120 in-depth interviews. And investing was this place again and again that we got to that people are like, I looked at this. I looked at what was in this ESG fund. It felt greenwashy. I didn't understand what was in there. I didn't understand the theory of change. And I don't understand why it's more expensive for it. And so we saw, huh, that the solution that Wall Street is offering here does not whatsoever actually meet the underlying needs of what people are looking for in this. And then when we look from a top-down perspective of what is it actually going to take to solve climate change and avoid catastrophic levels of warming, we can't do it without changing how we invest. We need to be investing something like $5 trillion more trillion per year into solutions and stop investing in new fossil fuel expansion. So that led us to say, we need investment advisors that this is what their focus is. And so that's why we started Carbon Collective. That's fantastic. Uh, Real quick, can you just define greenwashing for people who may not know? Yeah, so greenwashing is when a company um, says one thing, but does another. Um, And a famous example of this is uh, oil companies like British Petroleum, BP is um, under hot water right now because in 2019, they had a bunch of ads touting how they were going beyond petroleum and how they would show 
showing videos of them like installing charger networks in Britain with like, you know, sheep crossing the road, like very picturesque and things like that. Um, whereas in actuality, still 96% of the uh, reinvestment that they do into the company is going into expanding and their oil operations. So that does not whatsoever actually align with the reality. And that mismatch is what is commonly referred to as greenwashing. Awesome. Thank you for that. And uh, something just for in case nobody knows, but now they do. And they're like, oh, yeah, of course. I know exactly that. I've seen that too far too often and unfortunate circumstances on that front as well. Zach, one of the things that you mentioned as well is is the investing and the importance and being able to create change. And you create change with dollars and things of that nature as well. I know when it comes to sustainable investing, people kind of have their qualms with it, right? I mean, some of the, especially with the recent run that oil just made uh, in the market. <laughs> Um, that we've seen in that nature as well. Can you just kind of go ahead and, and just kind of get rid of some of the misconceptions people might have about sustainable investing and, and how that might not be an actual good way to make money? And, oh, yeah, sure, it's going to feel good for me, but you know, I'm, I'm here to invest and make money and sustainable investing is a great way to do so. Totally. Um, so this is, we think, is one of the greatest misconceptions that is out there in Wall Street. If you had divested from the S&P 500, so you'd, if you had removed the oil stocks from the year I was born, 1989, up through the present, you would have made more money. So that's a long period of time. I'm 33. You know, that, that, that's not nothing. That's not a, a tiny time window. Um, and this includes like the past 18 months where oil has had a really resurgent period. For us, when we look ahead, it's really hard to see the argument. And I just saw an, art, uh, an article yesterday of how both BlackRock and Vanguard were saying, no, we are not going to pause our financing of fossil fuels because we have a fiduciary duty to our investors. And that just really doesn't make sense to us because the oil industry is facing unprecedented headwinds for it. And really the biggest thing that's coming for it is electric cars. Over half of the oil that we use in the world um, is used in transportation, on road transportation for it. And over half of that is in light duty vehicles, cars like yours and mine. With it, electric cars already, and they are a tiny percentage of what the overall fleets are already account for 1.5 million barrels a day of oil that's not being used. To put that in context, there's about 100 barrels, a million barrels of oil a day that we use today for it. So that's already, so that's like 25% of oil's current market share that is being outcompeted by a fundamentally better product. Whether climate change was happening or not, the electric car revolution is here and would be happening because it's just a better technology. It is far cheaper to operate. It is much more convenient. They are faster, safer, roomier, everything you like in a car, they're just better for. So that change is happening. And then there's no place where it looks like that oil is going to be able to make up its market share. I actually saw a quote from ExxonMobil's CEO the other day that said, oh, well, we know that we're going to decline in the actual you know, oil that's burned in cars, but we'll make up for it by having electric cars use more plastic in their creation, and that'll come from oil. And it's like the amount of, like they would literally have to be 100% plastic, and even then, the amount of oil would like equate only after a few years for that. Okay, yeah, so it just doesn't align. The, when you're investing for long term, you're investing for capital appreciation. And that, that's when a stock price goes up, basically, at a high level. You know, if you invested back in Apple in like 2004 up to the present, you would have, you know, done very well with capital appreciation from that. And capital appreciation, the main driver of that is investors' belief that the company and, or the industry is going to have growth, that the amount of money they're making today is going to grow in the future. 
for that. And when we look at an industry like oil and gas, it is very hard to see that because they're being outcompeted in these core areas of their business, like transportation and electricity with natural gas. Solar, wind, and batteries are just a cheaper way of generating electricity. Right. And, and I mean, you're even seeing that with a, some of the traditional car companies as well. They're making huge pushes into electric cars. I mean, I remember watching TV, you know, not too long ago in the summer and Ford was all over it with the Ford F-150, the electric vehicle they had there, GM moving forward in that. These are, you know, historically speaking, kind of traditional car companies and they're moving for the Ford F-150 for a while. I don't know if it still is, so don't quote me on this, but was the most uh, bought car in America for the longest time. And I mean, if you're going to electrify that and they're seeing that as an opportunity, I mean, that should tell you too, uh, you know, a lot of good things about the future and that and how much more powerful it is. Yeah. I mean, just to give some crazy stats about EVs, and electric cars. Um, so in 2010, 12 years ago, uh, 0.01% of global car sales were electric. In 2022, it is going to be over 10% of global car sales this year. That's a thousand times more for it. The best-selling car, not the best-selling electric car, the best-selling car in 2022 globally is going to be the Tesla Model Y. Think about Look that. Look at that. Yes. The number one car globally being sold across the whole entire world is an electric vehicle. Yep. And things are just getting started. This is a classic S curve of adoption where you have a new technology like horse and buggy to Model T. That's what we have here in this transition. And so it's, of course, the major auto manufacturers are getting on board. They're a little behind the ball, but they're catching up. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating, the whole EV space and, and way that's going. I mean, we could do a whole podcast episode about that, Zach. I mean, we easily could, but um, let's uh, let's, go, let's let's get back to the investing platform and, and what you guys are kind of working on as well. One of the things, and I, and I think this just goes for traditional investing and financing in, in general, in, in the US at least, and, and I would venture to say in other countries as well, uh, a lack of education when it kind of comes to investing in general. I mean, finance as a whole, really. What do you think are, are some of the issues with why we have haven't been able to kind of get the resources and the education needed surrounding sustainable investing as a whole. I mean, I imagine, I mean, if investing, getting education around investing is hard, I imagine getting education around sustainable investing can be a little bit of a challenge. Absolutely. Um, and I think that this goes back to Wall Street's answer for sustainable investing is ESG. And let me explain what that means uh, if you haven't heard of it. So it's an acronym obviously. Um, and it stands for environmental, social, and governance. And what ESG arose from um, was institutional investors. So think like big pension funds and endowments and, and big these big pools of money. They were like, huh, there are these different ethical risks that a company faces. Like if a company has a really poorly run board, it would actually be good for us to know that when we're evaluating whether we should invest in them with that. Or if a company, you know, is a uh, uh, uses a lot of fossil fuels and there's going to be some you know huge spike in prices we should know that and so it was this tool that was developed almost like similar to a credit score to say how could we analyze these different companies so we can balance this other these other types of risks against each other in a diversified portfolio because that's all of investing you're trying to diversify the types of risk that you have so you can mitigate them to the greatest extent possible what then happened though is people saw that oh you can quantify ethical risks and all of these other use cases for it started to emerge. People saying, I want to invest with my values or I want to drive impact in the real world with this started to adopt ESG for that. But ESG was never built for that purpose in the first place. But Wall Street was like, this trend is awesome. We can charge more 
for this and people are getting all over it. So they're like, let's do it. And that's kind of what's led us to this point today where we're seeing pushback both from the left, but also from the right. You know, the left people like me, like who really want sustainable investing are saying, you're not doing nearly enough. And then you have people on the other side saying, whoa, 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 this is trying to do way too much. And so we're seeing this framework really caught itself in the middle. Right. And and it's a really interesting thing on that front, too, when you kind of think about that and, and the, hey, I'm not doing enough or, hey, you're doing too much. And it's kind of trying to find that kind of fine balance you have within that kind of investing and that knowledge and the practice. And I think the best way that and, and what I really like about your platform is you guys just provide real time data about that as well. And, and you give that information, which I think is, is really great. But before we really dive into the solution a little bit here, uh, I want to just kind of follow up on that with the, the Wall Street comments that you were kind of making on that front, too. And and how it was kind of them that kind of took that opportunity with ESG and kind of put that into kind of an investment style of thing as well. Do you see that changing? I mean, obviously, people like yourself are, are in your company are going through and creating kind of uh, a solution to that problem. But just amongst the people you talk to as well, is that a pretty common thing where people are like, ah, this is an advantage and we got to kind of do something about it to kind of educate the people in a, in a more proper way? Yeah. I mean, I think especially the insiders in the ESG space will be the first to say, this is a young industry for it. Um, and so for them, they're like, yeah, like we need to evolve and change. Um, we believe, and this is my personal opinion, that ESG is actually starting to under undergo a classic unbundling of a technology. Um, let me give some examples. This is when you have a technology that got wildly popular, popular because it was innovative. So people started using it for all these different purposes. Let, uh, an example of that is Excel. It's a spreadsheet with that. That came around in the 80s for, for basic computation to be able to do you know automatically instead of by hand. Huge for it. People are like, oh, I could use this to store my sales contacts in it and manage them. Not at all what it was initially intended for, but people are using it for that and lots of different other purposes. That's when you see a technological unbundling happen where a company said, oh, we should have a CRM. You have Salesforce come out of that. Same thing with Craigslist is very classic as a business that is being unbundled. So we believe that's what we're seeing in ESG. Carbon Collective is an example of that, of other entrepreneurs coming in and saying, huh, a lot of people are doing this. But it was never not actually built for that in the first place. So let's uncover what are they actually trying to get out of it and let's build a much better solution to meet that need. Love it. Love it. That makes a whole lot of sense. And that's a great way to kind of put it in, in the young infant stages. I mean, you see that with, you know, Craigslist, like you mentioned, a great example. Salesforce is a, is a good, and, you know, Salesforce is funny because I got a, a good friend of mine. He's a CTO and, and he was working with a client and they were trying to use it. I won't get into the tech nitty gritty, but basically he was like, that's not what Salesforce is for, but they think Salesforce is it, you know? And, and so it's a great example of that point as well. Zach, obviously the the long-term effects of investing continuously in oil and us using oil and, and all of that type of stuff is, is huge, right? Obviously we're going to emit more carbon. The temperatures are going to rise. We're going to have issues with the glaciers. We're going to have issues with displacement of people and things of that nature as well. So we have to start investing more sustainably, like you said at the very beginning, uh, and getting into sustainable investing. And that's where I think your solution is really cool because it's not just something that just says, hey, we we are going to put you in a portfolio and do sustainable investing, but we're going to kind of teach you about it as well. And you have the kind of the standards and educate and things of that nature too. So I want to dive right into the solution. And so go ahead and just tell me exactly how Carbon Collective helps solve this problem. And then we'll kind of dive into it from there, because I think that you're going to have a lot of really great points and the listeners are really going to appreciate what you got to say here. 
It's time for another book recommendation. This week, I want to take a pause to recommend the book, The Future of Capitalism by Paul Collier. Collier is a world-renowned economist and spends his time writing about what has gone wrong with capitalism in recent decades and how it's created more of a divide from an economic, social, and cultural perspective. What I really enjoyed about this book is Collier focuses on the solutions he believes will help heal these divides and create a more inclusive economy for everyone from a national and global perspective and improve capitalism as a whole. It's a great read that made Bill Gates's summer of 2019 reading list, and I highly recommend it to anyone that's interested in investing and the economy to give it a read. So let's dive back into this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast with Zach Stein of Carbon Collective. For us, when we did that research, what we saw is that most people, they want to invest broadly with the market, what is known as passive investing. So this is kind of like what Vanguard came up with um, and saying like, don't try and you know beat the market by actively choosing which company is going to win, et cetera. Just invest with it with as low fees as possible. So we said, how could we apply that logic with a clear lens around climate? And that clear lens said, for us, it has to be based in the science and the science of what needs to happen to solve climate change. And again, the question going back to the beginning, because I think it bears worth repeating, we cannot solve climate change without changing how we invest. And we need to first stop investing in new fossil fuel expansion. That industry needs to wind down naturally to about a quarter of its size today by 2050 with it. And we have enough to power our society today with our existing rigs and things like that. And then two, dramatically increase investments into climate solutions. Very simple, we, we have to put a lot of more solar panels on the ground and that takes money to do that. We have to innovate in a lot of these different ways and that takes money. So that's where that 5 trillion goes in. So we said, okay, how do we build a comprehensive portfolio that takes those very clear ethical lenses. And we came up with a strategy that can be summarized in a very simple, somewhat cheesy rhyme, which is divest, reinvest, pressure the rest. I'll explain what that means. We divest from the companies in the US stock market whose core business cannot exist in a post-carbon world today, in a zero carbon world. So um, you know they would need some miracle breakthrough in technology for that to happen. So this is obviously like oil and gas and coal, but also a lot, a lot of the dirty utilities, um, airlines, airline manufacturers, cement, steel, petrochemical companies, these plastic makers and more. They need that. We then, it's about 20% of the overall US market. We give their share, we reinvest to the companies that are building solutions to climate change for this. Again, going back to the science, we can't just cut stuff out. We have to actually invest in solutions for this. So we build and maintain a collection of our last update was 192 companies that are working across 40 different climate solutions. So this is much more than just solar and wind, but also things like electrifying buildings, making them far, far more energy efficient, expanding our grid, electrifying industry, sustainable food, and more with that. And then the pressure of the rest, step three, is taking that passive strategy of saying, all right, how are we looking at the rest of the stock market? This is the inverse of step one. So these are the companies whose core business can exist in a post-carbon world, um, that these are the ones that we should own and hold them to put pressure on them to switch from how they get electricity today to 100% renewable energy, from their current gas-powered fleet to 100% electrified fleet, to how they're currently 
addressing their supply chain and natural resources to doing it in a way that is far more protective and actually long-term sustainable. That is where we should be using our voices and our shares as um, shareholders um, to vote and pressure them with that. So that's kind of our theory of change. We then balance that against um, green bonds and a series of U.S. government bonds that enables us to offer portfolios where you can get a similar level of risk and reward as what you would get for investing in the S&P 500 balanced against the U.S. aggregate bond index. So again, we're trying to give you that same kind of, I want a market tracking strategy or a strategy that is ideally trying to do that but with a clear lens of climate around climate and a clear theory of change. Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, you know, it might be cheesy, but it does have a nice little ring to it. You know, divest, invest, and pressure the rest, if you will. So well done. Who came up with that one? Uh, that was me. Uh, okay. All right, Zach. There we go. And and with that, with the pressuring the rest, I mean, obviously that I, I think is really the goal, right? I mean, obviously we need to divi- divest from the companies that just aren't going to survive, right? But the pressuring of the rest is really where I think the change will come because I think a lot of these companies are going to answer to the demands of their kind of shareholders to their target consumers, clients, things of that nature, customers, things of that nature as well. So one question I'd have for you as well, with the people that are signing up for the platform and using the platform, and we'll get into exactly what you can do with the platform in just a minute as well. Do they all seem to kind of have that type of mindset as well? Like we want our voices to be heard, or has that been kind of a bit of a challenge as well, where maybe, hey, we want to do the sustainable investing, but at the same time, like I just kind of want to be passive about it and just kind of do my own thing. Yeah, um, this is definitely something I think is, is one of the value props that people gravitate towards with us. We want to do a lot better job of that storytelling with what we're doing with votes like whether you realize it or not like your shares your 401k with vanguard like it's being voted and it's you know the funds that you're in they're voting on your behalf with that what we haven't found is that a ton of people want to vote themselves it could be really overwhelming Um, and this is kind of to our perspective is that people don't want direct democracy in this, they, they want a republic. Um, they want a representative democracy. They want someone that they trust to say, especially on these issues, like, please represent me um, and represent my values. And so we've seen that people have found it very helpful um, at Carbon Collective to be like, oh, I, I know this company, especially when it comes to climate, is going to be voting in ways um, that are aligned with how I want to. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that kind of makes a lot of sense, I think, just from a human kind of nature perspective. We have so much stuff to do, right? And and to actually go in and vote and then read the quarterly reports, earnings reports and all that. I mean, that's a little much. So if you can have a representative that you can trust and you know is going to vote along your values, I think that that's a great solution to have for it. Exactly. And I think one other point that I'll add here is this is often an argument that people make of saying, hey, we, we shouldn't divest. We should actually own ExxonMobil and own these fossil fuel companies because that's where we can have the greatest impact. We can use our pressure to force them to make change for that. And we have engaged with that really deeply. And overall, on the other side of it, we came to the conclusion that it does not make sense to own these companies. Um, and the reason I think is pretty simple, I, I find an analogy is quite helpful, that ExxonMobil right now is like a business Uh, with a line out the door and around the block. And so going to that business and saying like, hey, you should really consider changing business models. They're not going to do it. Like go to the guy behind the counter. Instead, we need to go to the people that are standing in line and say, hey, you can actually get a lot better deal across the street and it's better for the planet. So that's our theory of change of why we focus on demand and not supply. 
in that of how do we pressure, who should we pressure to limit uh, fossil fuel emissions? Right. And yeah, it is. It's going to be the the people that actually can can make change with their dollars. You make a great point. In, in a best world, I would love to be able to approach Chevron and Exxon and, and those CEOs and go, hey, you know what? I know that you say you're doing some things to be clean. I saw a Chevron commercial that was doing that the other day, like, oh, we're being green and whatever. But at the end of the day, it's, it's just not going to work. It's just historically it's in there and it's grinding it in. So I think that you have a good model with that set. And, and, and I think people recognize that, at least amongst the consumers that I talk to as well. Um, you know, and you see that in other industries too on that front. But Zach, I think the mission's fantastic and, and I love it. And I want you to be able to now just explain how families, individuals, small businesses and, and nonprofits, what they can do on the platform and, and how they can really benefit from that, whether it's through an IRA retirement fund or, or things of that nature, just all the accounts that they can open and, and do some funds with. I know you touched on it briefly, but love for you to explain a little bit more in detail. Yeah, our goal at Carbon Collective is to be a place that makes financial sense for any type of wealth building activity um, to be done, any type of investing. So we started with individuals and families. We have what we call as a robo-advisor. This is pretty common in the investment space. It's a way where you can invest in ways that are relatively low fee, but have it be kind of set and forget. Um, for a strategy. So we have individuals and families that either they maybe have some cash, they're just looking to invest in a comprehensive portfolio, or they have an IRA or retirement account or a Roth IRA that they have with us on that. So if you've been looking for a sustainable home for your own investing with that, we would love to be able to help. Um, We then had a, a bunch of people that were in that saying like, hey, this is great, but like, how do I get it at work? With it, you know, I work for this climate tech startup. I work for this renewable energy company. And, you know, my 401k is forcing me to invest in fossil fuels. This doesn't make any sense. And so we um, launched this year a new service where we actually help small and medium businesses that have sustainable missions and nonprofits uh, in the same like. So, you know, a few hundred employees and below is kind of what we found as our sweet spot to help it make sure that they have and your team has a series of portfolios. So we have the standard ones. No one is forced to invest green. We never shut doors, but we only open them. So we also have kind of a best of ESG target date portfolio and then also a climate focused target date portfolio as well. Lots of options for people to kind of get in and, and do so. And within that as well, and the type of people that you've been able to get on the platform and things of that nature, uh, first and foremost, uh, how old is the company? Uh, we started researching Carbon Collective on Jan 1, 2020. So it's young, baby. It's, it's young. young. And so that's going to go aligned with my next question on that front too. And, and you've kind of already alluded this as well, but what type of uh, feedback have you been getting from people using the platform uh, that you've been bringing on and, and people that you want to, uh, whether that's from early adopters and, and to the, the people in the, that are investing with your company right now? Yeah. So I'll share maybe some of the positive and then some of the negative uh, because you know you can't launch something without people uh, having some of the negative sides of it. Um, so on the positive side, we launched Carbon Collective with a series of hypotheses. Um, one was you ne- we needed to be transparent. Um, two was that we needed to be human and real in this. Is that you know people don't trust finance without a face with this. So we really put ourselves out there and our own, our own theories of change. And then three is that we, as a new investment advisor in this space, we're we're going to be guilty until proven innocent. And on two accounts, one we'd be guilty of greenwashing because of the level of that in this space. And two, we'd be guilty of being a stupid place to put your money because we're new. (laughs) And so we had to kind of go above and beyond. 
for that. And I think those hypotheses are the things that we've done around that has really proven true. And people um, like I, our next newsletter is going to go out tomorrow. And like we get like really amazing and genuine responses to that, which is just really cool um, with that. I'd say on the negative side, um, we made a really deliberate call to launch our uh, platform for individuals on someone else's software on a different uh, brokerage account and so brokerage platform and that's allowed us to do so much more as a company we can invest so much more in our storytelling and our marketing we could launch new things like the 401k product but what it's meant it was kind of this deliberate sacrifice of having a clunkier system that we're like very well aware of and know is an intentional trade-off for it. Um, but that can make it kind of the process of once you are an investor with us, sometimes not feel as much like Carbon Collective, um, even though it feels, you know, it's a very elegant um, and uh, platform. How much of that decision to go with that uh, third party platform that you're using and then so that you can for- focus more on your marketing had to do with the fact that you felt like you needed to kind of educate people about it? Because uh, you did make a, a couple comments there about, hey, stupid place to put your money, greenwashing, you know, how much does education, you mentioned a newsletter, how much does education play in a role in your marketing? It's everything. Um, I believe that you, you could define the problem of climate change very simply as a problem of storytelling. We are not telling the right stories and we're not telling them to the right people. Like broadly still solving climate change for most people has a connotation of sacrifice we are combating that in the investment space. But just more broadly, when you know people like me say, oh, we need to solve climate change, you need to do something about it. Most people's immediate reaction is, I don't know, can I swear on this? Um, is like, fuck you, don't take something away from me. <laughs> um, and, and that's just not true. Maybe that was true like when An Inconvenient Truth came out, but the technology and landscape has really shifted from it. And so just the world is just fundamentally better that we solve climate change and it's quickly better. Like, you know, air quality and all of that is just one thing and one part of that. And so I think that is something that we really embraced and understand is that to become the company that Carbon Collective wants to become, but more importantly, to have the impact that we want to have, we actually have to fundamentally change the story that has all been bred into us around sustainable investing and then on climate change, you know, participate in the changing st- of that story in ch- climate change broadly. Yeah, that's interesting. That kind of reminds me of a book I read a couple of years ago called uh, Why Our Brains Are Wired to Ignore Climate Change. I think it was by George Marshall. I can't remember the author's name exactly, but he made those great points. His biggest point was the, the way that we were telling the story of climate change and our inability to think about the future in ourselves, which goes right into investing. Some people like your platform is made for long-term investing. That's what it's for. It's for long-term returns. But psychologically, it can be difficult for people to really think that far into the future as well. And so on that note, Zach, I'd be curious to hear what your opinion and your thoughts are, are the future of investing in sustainable companies. And um, obviously, you're not going to have any idea what the returns can be or what they might be or anything of that nature. It's the market, you know, it's up in the air. But what do you think of the future of investing 20 years from now, 30 years from now in your portfolio, and you have all these great companies? What do you think the landscape of investing will be like? Um, I think it will be dramatically different in the next 20 or 30 years, Um, not alone in this thinking. Larry Fink, the founder of BlackRock, has said like the next thousand great companies are going to be climate companies. Bill Gates said the next Netflix, the next Amazon are going to be climate companies. People have compared what the climate tech space feels like 
to the early internet with the amount of talent and the amount of money and the amount of innovation going into it. So investing in ways that are deliberately aligned to support that while cutting out the industries whose market share they're eating up, you know, it's like, would would you rather be invested in Sony with the advent of the digital camera or Kodak <laughs> with that? That I think is uh, the position that we're in. So over the, in the near term, and we always make points to to stress this, anytime you deviate from the market, you're going to have deviating returns from it. It might do better or worse. We're not focused on that near term. We're focused on that decades-long approach of exactly what you outlined. And to us, it's, it's very unclear to imagine a scenario where fossil fuel demand does not naturally go down purely driven by the economics of what it's being competed against. Right. Yeah, I, that's a great point with Bill Gates and Larry Fink and what they're talking about the future in these, you know, the companies that are going to blow up and make the money, you know, I mean, think about, uh, you know, what happened with Tesla back in 2020. I mean, I just blew up. I mean, it was ridiculous. I mean, I remember Plug Power, which does hydrogen for engines, if I believe, if I remember correctly, you know, that all went really high. So I think once we get out of this uh, uh, issue that we're in right now and some of the recession and that kind of bear market, uh, I'll be really curious to see kind of where those money start to come uh, and flow again as well. Zach, on that front, what types of things do you have in the future in store for Carbon Collective? What are some things that you guys are working on? Obviously, right now, it's a wonderful platform for people to, number one, get education. Number two, make money in a long-term investing platform in a sustainable way. And number three, you know, help us fight climate change. And as an individual, you have an opportunity to play that role with your dollars. But what do you got in, in store for Carbon Collective? Young company. It's exciting, I'm sure, in, at this time. And what, what's some of the future plans? I want to take a quick break to give you some actionable tips on how to be a better investor and what you can be doing to get yourself started investing if you haven't done so already. I'm doing so directly from carboncollective.co, the website right here in their quick financial health checklist that they want you to check out before you start investing. So first things first, you want to make sure you build an emergency fund. And an emergency fund is money that you set aside for just in case scenarios, right? This is something to where if you have a car, for example, and your tire gets blown out and you need to buy a new set of tires, it's a way that you can dive into this emergency fund and not have to put it on a credit card, for example, and go into debt, but a fund that you can draw from when you need a expense. Another thing that you can do, and again, with the emergency fund, that can be anything and it's up to you to determine. Some people like to have six or 12 months of living expenses set aside, which they believe is best and recommended, but you can start small with even just a baby emergency fund with $1,000 and build from there. Secondly, they suggest that you pay off high interest debt, right? And so it's really important that you tackle that debt in kind of a snowball format. The higher the interest debt, you want to start attacking immediately and go down from there and set aside a plan to help pay off that debt. Another thing you want to do is review your monthly expenses and budget to really accelerate your wealth building. It's very important to understand how much money you can allocate to investments every month to get yourself ready to invest and also to ensure that you have that money set aside each and every month and available. Finally, you want to make sure that you invest early and often. You need to invest for your future. I know it can sometimes be hard to think about the future and, and how much you may need that money now in the present, but you definitely want to make sure you're investing in your future self, even as you continue to add to your emergency fund or pay off any student loan debt that you might have or any other high interest debt that is there. But you want to start investing early and often and let that money compound. And then 
you are ready to get looking into investing in sustainable investing specifically, again, a Carbon Collective offers a fantastic platform to do so. And you want to start setting your short term and your long term goals as an investor. Short term, of course, is more along the lines of that emergency fund budgeting for any trips that you might have, saving for a house, buying a car. And then long term, of course, is retirement and reaching that financial freedom goals that you have. And then, of course, maybe college tuition for your uh, kids if you are planning to have kids or have kids. And then, of course, maybe paying off a home mortgage as well. So it's really important to do those steps and ensure that you are budgeting each and every month for some money that you can use for investing. So those are some quick tips from Carbon Collective that I wanted to share with you on this episode of the podcast. And without further ado, let's get back to our conversation with Zach Stein of Carbon Collective. Yeah, um, a lot of them. <laughs> we have very big plans. So one of the things that we have started down and we want to continue is the securitization of our strategy. So this is us launching funds. So you don't have to be a Carbon Collective member in order to participate in our impact and in that strategy. So we launched our first ETF. It's called CCSO. It's Climate Change Solutions. And that is that reinvest piece of our strategy. That is that collection of companies that are building solutions to climate change. So if you agree with a Larry Fink or a Bill Gates on this approach and you're saying, hey, I don't know which climate company is going to be the winner, but I want to get exposure to all these companies with this and be able to ride this sector as a whole. That's a way to do it. We have the other parts of our strategy that we want to bring in and uh, do in our carbon collective way as well, especially on that pressure, the rest piece with it. Um, And then there's as we securitize that, there's just other areas that we can help with. Um, in it. So right now, we're not yet in a position to really be able to do much to help corporate and very large 401k plans. We're really interested in exploring solutions there. That's going to be a long game, but it's how do you change the definition of fiduciary and fiduciary responsibility to make sure that it means accounting for the greatest financial risk our system faces, which is climate change. Um for it. Uh, We're really interested in the donor advised fund space. We think there's a lot of dollars that are sitting there that are not being uh, allocated and especially donated donated in an impactful way Um, with that uh, and more. And get some more updates on what's new with Carbon Collective. And then you can probably tell me about 10 other things and more that you got going on for the future roadmap. Love it. Zach, those people listening right now and they go, okay, this sounds really interesting. You know, I'm looking to kind of invest. I have some extra money and I'm looking to try to get into something more sustainable, have some more impact with my dollars, things of that nature as well. How can they get started with your uh, organization? So come check out carboncollective.co.co. And you can either click sign up if you're like, this sounds great. Um, We also have a button. This is, again, part of that transparency and humanity. Literally says, talk to a human on it. So you can click it. And it's not a lie. You'll book a call with one of us. Um, and, you know, we talk to people that are saying, I'm, I'm looking to invest $100. So we talk to people that are saying, I'm looking to invest 500000 in it. So book a call with us uh, if that would be helpful as well. I'd love to see that conversion rate on uh, talk to human versus <laughs> standard button. Awesome. So it seems super easy enough on that front. Um, to get started. That's fantastic. What tips do you have for individuals out there? Obviously, this whole podcast was able to provide some tips and insight on, on how to be a more sustainable investor and why. But what tips would you have for for an everyday person that's out there trying to invest their money in some more sustainable solutions and help solve climate change? I think one of the biggest parts is educating yourself and feeling comfortable. Um, in it. And so a great tool is from our friends at As You Sow. It's called FossilFreeFunds.com. 
think it's .com, it might be .org, but just Google it. And it's an amazing free resource where all you do is you enter the ticker of a mutual fund or an ETF, say like you look up what's in my 401k. Oh, I have this US equities fund. It has this four or five letter ticker. You put that in and it shows what is the fossil fuel exposure. And it, it makes that transparent in what is those underlying companies. It gives it a letter grade so you can see it, shows it as a sustainability mandate. And it's just a really nice way to make right apparent what's in there without you having to kind of dig through holdings and spend a bunch of time on it. So that would be, I think, be one of my number one recommendations. It because it can also help you, say, if you work with an investment advisor or you work with a robo-advisor, whatever you're doing, you're just your 401k at work, it can be a very helpful resource to go to the other stakeholder. Maybe that's a spouse. Maybe that's your investment advisor. Maybe it's your benefits manager at your company to say, hey, I'm really unhappy with this. This is not representing me and my values and what I, I want to do. And I actually think that it's a really poor investment that I'm you know, being forced to invest in fossil fuels in this way. What other options do you have available for me? Love it. That's fantastic advice. Utilize some other tools that can help you along the way, give you that education as well. And I'm sure following Carbon Collective will help them with that knowledge as well. So how can people uh, kind of uh, support you and, and find some good awareness and things of that nature, follow your content for education and things of that nature? Yeah. W- one of the best ways is to sign up for our newsletter. Um, I write them. We put a lot of work. I think we have a lot of really interesting perspectives on them. Um, this last recent one that I put uh, just put out is on the brain drain that the oil industry is facing right now. Again, not something that a lot of us hear about, but 83% of the workers in the oil industry said that they'd be open to moving to a new energy field within the next three years. ExxonMobil is having a mass exodus because of their toxic work culture. Uh, five years ago, the Petroleum Engineering Institute or kind of graduate program had 2,300 people that finished it. This year, it had 400 people that finished it. Yeah. So Careful, Zach. I'm about to ask you a whole other podcast episode <laughs> worth of questions. <laughs> so like, things like that, we also share it on, on any, any social channel that you want to be on uh, or on it as well, but especially for that direct engagement. And what's nice is you can just hit reply. Um, if you have questions or comments on that. Awesome. And I assume it's pretty easy to find that newsletter on the website. Super easy. Fantastic. Zach, anything else that you would like to, to promote or comment on and, and let the listeners kind of know? Um, I think I would say this. I, I say this a lot when I'm on podcasts. It could feel really overwhelming to be like, I'm one person. I was born into a world that's run by fossil fuels. What can I do about it? Should I go vegan? Should I bike to work? Should I do carbon offsets? A way that we found really helpful to think about this is to say, take a step back and look at what are the one-time decisions that you can make? And they're often big decisions, but what are the one-time decisions that you can make where after you make it, you're just living your life in a more sustainable fashion? Changing where you invest is one of those. Changing where you bank is one of those. Changing how you get your power, changing what you do to heat your food or dry your clothes or be your water heater. All of those, you get solar panels on your roof. After it's done, it's a weighty decision, but after it's done, then you just turn the lights on and you're getting to go about your day because decision fatigue is one of the the hardest things to get over um, for people making change in this space. So get the gears of your life aligned to solving climate change, pick up the big issues, and then move on and do what you're passionate about. 
Wonderful advice. Wonderful advice on that front. It's just that one step, try to simplify, break it down because you're right, it's very overwhelming. It, it can cause a lot of anxiousness. So there's lots of stuff going on. So love it. Simplify it one step at a time. First and foremost, okay, let's change how we get our energy, right? Or let's change where we bank and then step by step. And yeah, I, I would say to add on to that as well, put less pressure on yourself to do it now. Obviously, you want to get it done as fast as possible, but you live a life. You, if you have a family, work, all that can be difficult. So lots of great stuff there, Zach. Zach, really enjoyed this conversation with you. I think what you guys are doing at Carbon Collective is fantastic. I need to explore it myself a, a little bit more to maybe get myself a little investment in there on that front. But I, I have fantastic. Learned a lot from this episode. Learned a lot from having our conversation. So I thank you a lot for coming on the show. Thanks so much for having me, Will. And we're here whenever you're ready. That's Zach Stein, the co-founder of Carbon Collective. It's your new source for your retirement fund. All right, go check it out. Sustainable investing. And you heard him at the beginning of the podcast as well. Since I believe 1989, the return better than the fossil fuels. So definitely something to look forward to in the future as well in the next 20, 30 years. Got to think long in your investing. So definitely give Carbon Collective a, a look. And most importantly, sign up for the newsletter, get yourself acclimated if you need to. And then if you're ready to make that investment fund, go ahead and contact them uh, at your earliest convenience. That's going to wrap up this episode of the Talking Solutions podcast. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please drop a star, if you will, on Spotify. They don't do uh, comments. If you're on Apple, a comment is appreciated in the review as well. And then, of course, subscribe uh, to my newsletter to find out and learn more about founders that are creating impactful solutions and hearing their real-time stories as they build it. So it's going to wrap up this edition and I hope everybody enjoys the rest of their week. Thanks for listening to the Talking Solutions podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for a new episode and check out all of our guests on our website at cheshtech.com. That's C-H-E-S-H-T-E-C-H.com to learn more as we continue our mission of supporting impact-driven founders. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Talkin' Solutions Podcast and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Talkin' Solutions. If you liked this episode, I'd really appreciate a review and a recommendation to a friend as we focus on highlighting these great founders and individuals providing solutions to societal problems and bringing optimism into the world.